Before we get started with today's show, I'm here to tell you about B-Res Coffee Company, made by gamers for gamers right here on the Gulf Coast in Pensacola, Florida. Do you like light or medium roasts? Then try the Necromedium Holy Grail Light or Stamina Boost. Or if you're like me and prefer darker roasts, try the Critical Dark or the Coup Slayer Mocha Roast. But what if you can't pick just one? Then try one of their specialty sample packs, perfect for an all-night gaming or in the case of my fellow filmmakers, an all-night editing session. So forget about all the crappy coffee you've been buying at the grocery store and head on over to brezcoffeeco.com. Use the promo code DDE at checkout to get 10% off your order. Hello, this is Jake the Snake Plumber, former NFL legend. Hey everybody, this is voice actor Bob Bergen. Hello, this is Rocco from Rocco's Modern Life. Hey guys, this is Jason David Frank, the Green Ranger. Hello everybody, this is Ming Chen from AMC's Comic Book Men. Hello to all my friends at the Derek Diamond Experience. From me, Mario. And you're listening. And you're listening. And you are listening. And you are listening. And you're able to be listening to the... the, 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 the. This is Derek, Derek, Derek. Diamond, Diamond, Diamond. Experience! I'm not going to lie, that intro brought back a flood of memories. All, all good. All good memories. Welcome to this week's edition of the Derek Diamond Experience podcast, the final edition of the Derek Diamond Experience as I take my headphones off. Hopefully you're all having a good week. Uh, It's Thanksgiving. It's crazy to think that we're already wrapping up the year. Uh, It seems like yesterday we were back in the middle of the summer. But it seems like, you know, and I'm probably it's a cliche saying this, but it just seems like every year that I get older, time just seems to go by so much quicker. But I'm sure a lot of you feel the same way about that. But um, as I said, this is the final edition of the Derek Diamond Experience. So we'll get into all the sentimental stuff at the end of the show. Um, this is going to be kind of a, a free-for-all kind of show. I wanted to do a live edition uh, just because I love the audience interaction, and that's going to be a big part of my new show, Feature Presentation, which launches in January, and I'll get into more specifics of that uh, later on as well. Um, I will be doing my top five movie endings. I thought that'd be kind of a, a fitting uh, end to the show. One, you know, the the top five lists have become since the pandemic, a pretty big part of the show. It's, it has the most interaction uh, by the listeners and viewers, I think by far more than anything else that has happened on this show in its, uh, in its run. So it's crazy to think, you know, it seems like yesterday that just started too. And that was almost a, you know, almost like a gag because I was doing the morning show back when I was working remotely, you know, when I was still with the Wahoos and it became probably my favorite thing to do with this show uh, as far as the interaction goes. And I, I, I love all of it. You know, I've loved, you know, talking movies. I've loved, you know, even before I changed the format, love the, you know, learning about different people's stories and how they got to where they are today. But I, I've loved all, all aspects of the show. But as I said, we'll get into, you know, the more sentimental stuff later on in the show. But um, let me pull up my uh, comments window here. 
see if anyone has said anything yet. Uh, da, 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 da. Let's pull that up. Let's see. Oh, Carlos Longoria put a sad face. It, it's it's sad, yes, but it's also I think it's a natural evolution. I think. Uh, oh, my mother Donna Diamond is watching. Thank you for watching. I've got to talk about Ghostbusters Afterlife, and I'm not going to get into spoilers because the movie just came out, and I don't really like doing spoilers until you know a at least a week or two weeks after the movie has been out. I'll just say this, you know, my expectations were very high going into this movie. I love the original. Um, I'm not as big a fan of it as most people that I know are. Um, I do think the original is a masterpiece. I think it's in the classification of what you would call a perfect film. because It, it has such a mix of, you know, a great cast. I think the script is a masterpiece as well. Uh, the plot line, it has such great humor that still holds up today. It has true elements of horror. Because if it were not for the, you know, belly laugh, funny moments that happen and all the funny one-liners, it would be a horror film because there are moments of that movie that are truly scary. Now, you know, you can listen to more about Ghostbusters and the, the Ghostbusters roundtable that we did last week. But going into Afterlife, I kept telling myself one thing, because a lot of people had, you know, not very high expectations for there really no expectations. I kept telling myself if the original actors weren't slated to return, I don't think they would have done it had the movie been bad or if the script had been bad. So I told myself it's got to be decent at worst, but going into it, I saw it opening day and it was weird because they had a four o'clock PM showing that Samantha and I went to. It was the earliest premiere I'd ever been to. You know, I remember going to like the Avengers and you know, the dark Knight rises and those movies back at midnight. Then they bumped it up to like seven or eight o'clock and now we have the, you know, a 4 p.m. showing. And I wonder if they're going to do the same thing with No Way Home. And I want to get into that trailer in a bit. But I was very pleased with the movie. And I, I think it reminded me a little bit of The Force Awakens in a sense that it carried on a story from years prior. It was one of those movies, and there have been some series as well with other properties, that you could say it doesn't skip a generation, but it continues a story a generation later. You know, one of the great examples I can think of is the movie Creed with a Michael B. Jordan and Sylvester Stallone that continues the Rocky films. I think Creed, if you compare it to some of the other Rocky movies, I think it's near the top of the list. If I were to do my rankings of that franchise. I'd throw Cobra Kai in as well. You know, it's a series, but it continues the story that was set through the Karate Kid franchise in the 80s. Now, Ghostbusters is doing that as well. And I have to say, I loved the new cast. I thought, you know, for for a cast that I didn't really know a lot about, you know, like I know about Paul Rudd, 
you know, because I I remember seeing him for the first time in role models and just really thought that, you know, he, I just loved his, his style of humor. But um, the highlight of this movie was McKenna Grace as Phoebe. She was the star of this movie. This movie made her a star. I'm very curious to see what she does after this, because you got to think, and I don't know how old she is, but to put a kid pretty much in the driver's seat of one of the biggest film franchises or one of the most popular ones is a, a pretty big task, but she more than meets the challenge. I loved her one liners. I loved her sense of humor. I thought the other kids were great as well. Um, I can't remember the kid's name, but there is a kid who goes by the name of podcast and he hosts his own podcast and he's carrying, you know, his, his microphone and his headset around and he's you asking Phoebe questions. He's asking other people questions. I'm a little biased on that character, but I, I thought it was really funny. Uh, the, I can't remember his name either, but the kid from stranger things plays, uh, Phoebe's older brother, which I thought he did, you know, I thought he was fine, but I felt like you could have put someone else in that role because then not to say the character was expendable, but it wasn't as important to me as the Phoebe character was now, not to get into spoilers, obviously, because I, like I said, I want to stay away from that as much as possible, but the last 30 minutes of the movie will not disappoint and it's worth the price of admission alone. There are a couple of spots in the movie that I thought it was a little slow, but I don't really, it didn't really bother me personally. I would have liked to have seen maybe a little more of Paul Rudd because his character reminded me of, Rick Moranis a little bit from the original Ghostbusters and it follows a lot of the same beats as the original Ghostbusters and I loved hearing your know, little bits of the score like the da-da-da-da at certain parts of the movie that just kind of made my ears perk up a little bit but absolutely wonderful I it quite possibly might be my favorite movie of the year so far I'd have to really go back and think of what other movies I've seen but I, I found myself being, especially in the last half hour, on the edge of my seat and just really getting invested into what was going on. But the last 30 minutes, as I said, to me, are modern filmmaking at its finest. And it had just enough fan service, just enough nostalgia that it didn't feel forced. And there there is nostalgia and fan service in this movie, but it didn't feel forced. And that's what I loved about it is because there are so many other franchises that will kind of shoehorn in moments from previous entries. And you're just like, ah, it's a little on the nose, but I didn't feel that way with this movie. And I want to see it again, hopefully before it ends its theatrical run, but it's going to be a day one purchase for me when it comes out, you know, on streaming or on DVD, because I really want to see it again. And it's, it's not as good as the original, but I think to expect that is unfair of the movie because Ghostbusters, the original is, you know, we consider it a perfect film. And to me, it's about as close to a perfect film as you can get. But this to me is number two. Like I liked it better than Ghostbusters two. 
I liked it better than the 2016 film. And I didn't hate that movie either. You know, it's my least favorite, but I didn't regret watching it. You know, I like it more than I've heard some people that just want to completely rip it to shreds, but I didn't think it was all that bad. But the last 30 minutes alone are worth it. And it's, as I mentioned, modern filmmaking at its finest. And I've said this numerous times on the show. What I love when it comes to a movie is I love the characters and the story. And this nailed it on both ends. And it really sticks the landing at the end of the movie. And it's, I I can't, I can't stress it enough. You, you got to go see it. If you haven't seen Ghostbusters Afterlife yet, do yourself a favor and go watch it. And I know several people that have seen it, whether it's talked to them in person, you know, through text message or on social media that echo a lot of the same sentiment that I do. I just had so much fun watching this movie and just the little nods to the original, but it does enough for me to where it, it's its own movie in a way. Like it's not so similar to the original one, if that makes sense. Um, like I said, it reminded me a little bit of uh, a little bit of force awakens in that sense. But let's see what we got here on the uh, comments. Carlos says ghostbusters afterlife made him cry. I know of several people that will echo your sentiment, sir. It's, um, I, I loved it. I, I can't say enough good things about it. It was just, it was as good, I think, as it could have been. And I'll, I'll say this, there is a, an unexpected cameo during the last few minutes of the movie that blew my mind. Those who have seen it, you know what it is. And that's all I'll say. I I loved Ghostbusters Afterlife. Definitely go check it out. I, I can't recommend it enough. Now, kind of going from movies. Well, I'll say real quick. I We did watch a Red Notice a couple of days ago. The new movie that's on Netflix with uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Ryan Reynolds, and Gal Gadot. Um, it's about what you would expect. It's I wouldn't call it groundbreaking or incredible by any means, but... If you're a fan of Deadpool, it's got a lot of that style of humor, which is to be expected because Ryan Reynolds is in the movie. But the chemistry between him and The Rock is great. Uh, Gal Gadot was, you know, she was fine in it as well as she is in in everything I've seen her in. Um, it's it's a movie that you know you can spend two hours just kind of I don't want to say turning your brain off because. It's not entirely like that, but it's a it's a really funny movie. It's about what you would expect from something starring The Rock and Ryan Reynolds. It's it's a good movie. I wouldn't call it great, but it was a fun movie. I, there are some parts of it that that made me laugh out loud. So definitely go uh, if you have Netflix. Definitely watch that. And um, there's quite a few other movies that I want to you know, catch up on. And it's the one thing that's unfortunate about this being the last episode is that I'm not going to be doing a show when no way home comes out, but I am going to be reviewing it on the inaugural episode of my new show. You'll have to wait a couple of weeks for it, but I'm really, really stoked for 
that movie. And Carlos says, the ending of Red Notice surprised me. There is a cool twist that happens at, towards the, I say the last 15 to 20 minutes of the movie. There is a surprise twist. And then another twist that happens at the very end that sets up a sequel. Which, I mean, I, I kind of hope there is. I mean, the, it was a fun movie and I'd be interested to see where they go. Uh, with the story from there. And that's kind of what I tell people is that not every movie has to be this, you know, groundbreaking piece of artistic cinema. You can have fun movies that don't require a ton of thought. You know, you just go in and be entertained. And that's what Red Notice was to me. Not incredible, but a fun movie that you wouldn't regret watching. If, you, if you're just sitting at home on a, Monday or a Tuesday night and there's nothing on TV you want to watch, you have Netflix, I'd recommend watching Red Notice. And it it doesn't feel like a long movie either. Uh, but there's some there's some really funny parts to it. Let me pull my... Uh, yeah. Let's see. Okay. No, I already read that. But um, yeah, Spider-Man No Way Home. I am just ready for this movie to come out because... A lot of things are leaking at this point, and I don't know if it's partially Sony's doing because I know that it, it it's interesting because this has the potential to be one of, if not the biggest comic book movie ever. Like it has the potential to be up there with Avengers Endgame, but it just sucks that Sony is the studio to do it because the marketing for this whole movie has been really weird. Like there's stuff that has been rumored for a long time. There's been things that have leaked that unfortunately I have seen due to careless, you know, posting on Instagram by parties that I won't mention, but I'm not going to bring those up here because I'm not going to let it ruin my take on the movie. Now, as far as the trailer goes, I loved seeing Willem Dafoe back as Green Goblin and hearing his voice. Loved seeing more of Doc Ock, played by Alfred Molina. Getting to see the first look of Jamie Foxx back as Electro with a little bit of a, a different look, more along the lines of uh, his comic book counterpart. It's clear we're getting some incarnation of the Sinister Six. So we've seen Doc Ock, Green Goblin, Electro, Sandman, and the lizard who the sixth villain is. I don't know. There's the possibility that it could just be Michael Keaton's vulture. It could be venom. You know, Tom Hardy's venom crossing over into the MCU is a highly rumored possibility. What I think would be really cool is if Mysterio somehow comes back, whether it's Mysterio from another universe if it's the same Mysterio, but he just faked his own death, we're getting some type of a Sinister Six. It's just who that sixth villain's going to be, I don't know. And quite honestly, I don't want to know. After watching that trailer, I told myself, I'm not going to watch any more commercials. I'm not going to look at any more articles. The trailer did it for me. And I was going to go see this movie anyway before that last trailer came out because I'm a Spider-Man fan and... Just the, I will say this, if, if Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield are in the movie, 
which I'm, in my opinion, they are. I'm glad that it wasn't revealed in the trailer. I think doing that would have been a huge mistake because you think of Endgame, the moment where Captain America grabs Thor's hammer and you watch the reaction videos on YouTube and just people losing their mind in a theater. And that would be taken away if we already knew for certain that they were going to be in the movie. And that's a, that's a moment that I can't wait for. And I don't know what time tickets are going on sale. I know it's November 29th, but they haven't released a time yet. I know I'm definitely going to be online. I want to go opening night. I don't want to go any later than that. If I have to go at, you know, nine or 10 o'clock at night, then that's, you know, what I'll want to do. But that that's an event that, I don't want to miss because that's going to be what it is. Like Endgame was more than just a movie. It was an event. And I think this is going to be the same thing because it has the potential. I've had this debate on, uh, in, you know, text messages with friends and I'll ask the chat this too. If COVID were not a factor, because I think people are still a little iffy about going back to theaters. Do you think that no way home would make close to the same amount of money that Endgame did. Because I I don't think it would have made as much, but I think it definitely would have broke a billion and a half. And who knows what it's going to do. Like, it could be a big enough movie where it convinces people to go to theaters. I hope that's the case, because that's, that's something I was worried about during, you know, the peak of COVID when theaters were shut down what is the state of the movie industry and is the movie theater model dead or is it going to be changed? We saw with Shang-Chi and Ghostbusters had, you know, a strong opening as well that I think the same could happen with Spider-Man. Let's see. Let me pull up the comments here. Uh, Carlos says, I like Doc Ock's new look. Looks like he's getting Stark tech or something in the trailer. Yeah, there's a shot of him where his arms are turning red. His mechanical arms are turning red. And I'm thinking it's from the nanotech from him grabbing the the iron spider suit. Uh, Tim Spivey, same with Electro. He has an arc reactor. And then Carlos says, uh, I think No Way Home will make more than any previous Spider-Man movie. That I do agree with. And then Tim says, look like Hobgoblin is possibly in the trailer. Yeah, there was a shot of what looks like a different goblin flying towards the camera at like a downward angle. It could be the Hobgoblin or it could be Willem Dafoe's Goblin getting a new suit or a modified suit. I mean, if Electro is getting a new one, if Doc Ock's getting upgraded armor, or not armor, but mechanical arms, could be the same with Green Goblin. He could get his hands on some Stark tech as well. Uh, Tim Spivey would have made more. We didn't get an Amazing Spider-Man 3, so no Sinister 6. This is the beginning of Multiverse. Pre-COVID, it would break in-game records. That's a pretty bold claim, and I... I mean, I think at worst it would have gotten close, but I I also think this movie, as well as Multiverse of Madness, is they're both going to be very important for Marvel because if the multiverse doesn't work, I don't know what's going to happen with Marvel because they're 
they're pushing all their chips in for this. But I think it's going to go over well. And I haven't seen Eternals yet, but I know it's gotten a very mixed reaction. But that's also the question is, has Marvel gotten so big that it would take several bombs for them to fail? But the thing is, you can look at some of their movies that, yeah, they haven't been as great as, you know, some of the others, but they haven't made too many just god-awful movies when I'm talking about MCU specifically. But who knows? But I, I, I think these next two movies for Marvel are going to be very crucial. And I know some people are panicking about Doctor Strange doing reshoots, but it's typical with any movie. I mean, I think all the Marvel movies have had reshoots. So I'm I'm not too worried about it. I know they changed a little bit of the plot for Spider-Man because... Multiverse of Madness was supposed to come out before No Way Home. So they had to tweak some things in order for it to make sense. But I, I'm I'm looking forward to the multiverse. And I said in a previous show, and I still think this, I'm concerned with how much is too much for the multiverse. Like, I hope they don't just rely on, you know, cameos from other, you know, alternate Marvel universes to carry the the franchise for the next few years we're gonna get it with multiverse of madness i think because they have the chance to do some really cool stuff with that we're clearly getting it with no way home with all the villains that we've seen but i just say enjoy the ride and that's what i'm gonna try to do is just enjoy the ride you know it's we haven't seen marvel really have a huge misstep yet this far into its run and I don't think we're going to get it, you know, as I think we're all going to have our concerns with you know, what whatever happens with the next couple of movies and as w- with the series as well. But we're we're not going to be starving for Marvel content anytime soon, uh, which is funny because, you know, Hawkeye premieres as I'm doing the show in two days. And I almost haven't really been thinking about it. And I don't know if anyone else agrees with me on that, but what's cool is they're releasing the first two episodes, which I really like. But I think it has the chance to be cool. I I like that it's kind of going back to that, you know, like street level of of issues, you know, because it's if I had one critique with the MCU is that it seems like every movie has had to deal with like this world changing event that if this doesn't if this isn't prevented, then the world ends. You know, we haven't seen that almost kind of like back to the, you know, gritty level of like, you know, when you think of Spider-Man, how he just takes care of, you know, a certain area of New York. He's the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. And it seems like Hawkeye goes back into that, that level of urgency, which I like. Uh, the extended trailer they showed for Disney Plus Day made me excited for the movie, you know, with, with him, you know, driving the car and everything being like one long take, I thought was really from a, a filmmaking standpoint, I thought it looked really cool. So I I'm excited for Hawkeye. And then we have, you know, all the other shows coming out in 2022. And I can't mention Disney plus day without the star Wars content that we got. You know, I, I love the 
the look at Boba Fett, I believe it was called Under the Helmet, the little featurette they did on Boba Fett. Essentially, they said what I've been saying for years, that this character became so popular without really even doing anything. He has just a few lines of dialogue. He's, I think, has a total of two and a half minutes of screen time between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. But I'm happy that we're getting a Boba Fett series and he's going to get the recognition that he's deserved. You know, I, I loved when he returned in the Mandalorian, got his armor back. I thought it was a really, to put it bluntly, badass moment. Because it is, as critical as you can be of the the sequel trilogy of Star Wars movies, The Mandalorian was great. And I I think bringing a kind of like a crime syndicate vibe to Star Wars, I think is perfect. Because we got the trailer at the end of The Mandalorian with Boba Fett taking over Jabba's palace and sitting on his throne. So we're going to see him attempt to run the crime scene on Tatooine, and it could go beyond that. Because we think of Boba Fett as being a bounty hunter, but this is going to be an entirely new avenue for him. And I, I'm i so stoked that Tamura Morrison came back, because he's, I think, in his 60s now, but he still just looks so badass in what he did in The Mandalorian. And I can't wait to see you know what he does with with this Boba Fett series. And I believe it's eight or nine episodes long, which is a little surprising to me. I thought it was going to be six, maybe seven. And I, I think after book of Boba Fett is done is when we're going to get the first trailer for Obi-Wan Kenobi. We got the look at the concept art and we had, you know, an interview with Deborah Chow, the filmmaker behind Obi-Wan series uh, with Ewan McGregor and mentioning that Hayden Christensen was coming back as Darth Vader. I I think it's still a little too early for a full trailer for that just yet. But I'm I'm so excited for that Obi-Wan series. Like ever since Disney bought Star Wars or bought the rights to Star Wars and they announced so oh, we're going to get a new trilogy of movies, we're going to do all this other stuff. I said that day they got to do an Obi-Wan movie to tell what happens between episodes three and four. Now, I think a series is much better. I don't know how many episodes we're going to get. I don't think it's going to be that many. If I had to guess, I would say between four and six. But I think that's okay. If they're all cinema quality and say maybe like an hour, hour and ten minutes each, I think I'm I'm okay with that. You know, I, I'm just happy that it's happening. And I'm curious as to what's happening with the movie side of Star Wars because Rogue Squadron has been delayed indefinitely. But I th- I think series, and I've said this for years, ever since, you know, The Mandalorian came out, I think the series route is the right way to go with Star Wars. You have so much more time to flesh out characters and tell better stories. And that was something that was very critical about the sequel trilogy is that you had introduced all these new characters, but you didn't really get a ton of time to really care about them, I think. But that could be different with the uh, with the series. Uh, 
So let's see. Um, uh, da, da, da. Let me go to the lists here because I think we're close to time for the uh, top five list. Oh, Bill just messaged uh, the Facebook page. Check your personal page share. Got one in. Let's see. Let me get that in my uh, feed here. Uh, da, 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 da. Let me go to my personal page because, as we've said, this is live. Uh, here we go. Let me copy that over. Yeah, I think we'll go ahead and we'll do our, our top five list. And if you're watching and you haven't uh, submitted your list, then feel free to uh, throw it in the chat and I will read it on the show. And this is going to be something that's carried over into the the new show as well. Um, I'm actually going to be kicking things off with a top five, but we'll we'll get to that here in just a bit. All right, so top five movie endings. I thought with you know the the circumstances that this would be fitting to do because um, I, I love you know I, I love movie endings and I love series finale endings and I was going back and forth um Bill joined the chat at the right time welcome Bill thank you for joining in the chat um so yeah I kept going back and forth between series finale and movie endings but decided to go with movie endings um so for those who might be listening for the first time what I'll do is I'll go through uh my top five explain why, you know, my number five is where it is, four, three, so on and so forth. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then I'll read everyone else's list that submitted there. So I got my old case of the hiccups. So movie endings, um, honorable mentions. Um, I got to throw in, you know, to me, one of the most iconic movie endings of all time from the original Planet of the Apes released in 1968 when uh, Charlton Heston's character re realizes that he is on earth spoilers. If you haven't seen it, when he sees the ruined statue of Liberty and he's pounding his fists in the sand and he's just yelling, you know, damn you all to hell. And you know, it, it's, it was such a great twist as well. And I, this may have been mentioned when I did the movie twist top five as well, but you know, that that's a, an ending. I automatically think of when I think of movie endings, uh, Casablanca, one of the most iconic movies of all time, you know, from numerous quotes such as we'll always have Paris. Here's looking at you, kid. And of course, my personal favorite, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship uh, is is up there with Planet of the Apes is some of the most iconic movie endings of all time. Uh, Inception, uh, for those who have seen that movie, watching the top spin with just, you know, with anxiety, like what what's going to happen? And then it just cuts off like that. Uh, the usual suspects, Kaiser Soze, uh, greatest trait the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. And then uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, one of the best movies of all time. It also has one of the best endings as well with the, the Ark being put in storage and that, you know, shot at the end where you just pull out and you see this massive shot of the warehouse was just awesome. But my number five is uh, Knives Out, one of my favorite movies of the last few years. 
the ending with it puts such a great twist on the murder mystery whodunit element with uh, spoilers for those who haven't seen the movie. These are all spoilers because how else can you talk about the ending when uh, Marta gets you know, the rights to the house and she's standing over the balcony looking at the other members of the family and they're just all like, oh no. They fully like realize what happened and she's holding this coffee mug that says, my house, my rules. That shot at the end of her looking down at the rest of the family was just awesome and the perfect way to to end that movie. Uh, let's see. Oh, Bill says, ah, oh, good, good pull. I went bananas for it. <laughs> and then uh, Carlos, I own Casablanca on DVD and never seen it. Oh, it's a great movie. You got to watch Casablanca. It's one of the all-time greats. Uh, number four, I would say, is uh, Rocky from the original because, yeah, he doesn't win, but Rocky got what he wanted. All he wanted to do was go the distance with Apollo Creed. Shut up, Siri. I don't know if you guys heard that, but my watch started talking to me. Um and then Adrian getting into the ring and says, I love you. And they hug. It's a good ending all on its own. Like had the franchise not continued from there, it would have been a good ending because Rocky got what he wanted. And that's you at the core of movie. That's what you want to see is your central character. You should want them to get what they're going after. He got the girl and he proved that he belonged to be in the same ring with the heavyweight champion of the world. Number three is kind of a dark ending, but I got to put infinity war on my list because that experience watching it on opening night when Thanos does the snap and there's no score, no music or anything. It's just quiet except for just a little bit of dialogue watching certain characters turn to dust and just blow away in the wind. And of course we all know about Peter Parker when he says, Mr. Stark, I don't feel so good. And he blows away. And then watching that shot of Thanos just sitting down and just kind of has a small smirk on his face, realizing he won. And that's something you rarely ever see in movies is the villain winning. It's just so powerful. And I remember leaving the theater. You could hear a pin drop in the, the room that I was at. Because I was at the AMC down the road from my house watching it in IMAX. And you could hear a pin drop in that room. It was just one of the most surreal endings. It is just, it was awesome. Uh, let's see. Uh, Bill says, Derek, I did it. Uh, number two, Toy Story 3. I put this very high on my list because, you know, I grew up watching the original Toy Story. I still remember going to see it in theaters as a kid. Watching the second one, not as big a fan of it, but still I liked the movie. And I had reservations about Toy Story 3 when it came out because it was years and years later after the second one had come out. And I remember thinking, okay, it depends on what they're going to do with the story. When they revealed that Andy was going to be in college and he's you know outgrown his toys, I thought, this will work. 
this has the chance to be really good. And the ending when he leaves the all his toys with Molly and he drives away and they all look after him as he goes off in the distance and Woody says, so long, partner. It was like, you know, for those who grew up with the movie like I did, it was like your childhood coming to an end. And I remember getting, you know, a little teary eyed when that happened because it, it really felt like the end of childhood going into adulthood. Like you in a way grew up with Andy. So it's, that was a no brainer for me. It being, it almost made my number one, but my number one is the Shawshank Redemption. One of the most powerful movies that I think I've ever seen. And it's several people I know it's their favorite movie of all time. But seeing the moment where Andy and Red reunite at the end was just like, that's what movies like. That's that's what movies should capture with an ending. Uh, Bill says he's watched Toy Story three again yesterday. Great tearjerker ending. Um, yeah, I mean, I felt uh, Toy Story 4 is not a bad movie. I like it more than Toy Story 2, but I didn't think it was necessary to be made. But yeah, like the the moment when Andy and Red reunite at the end of Shawshank Redemption, like that to me, like that captures movie magic that not a lot of endings do. So from a filmmaker standpoint like that, that's my number one, but let's get into uh, some of your list that you sent in Uh, Brandon Rutledge. I know he couldn't watch the live version tonight, but uh, I know he'll be listening on the download Um, honorable mentions. The last samurai. I can only imagine Zootopia, the sixth sense Raiders of the lost Ark and the original planet of the apes. Number five is Joker. I agree with that minus one thing. I, I I loved, you know, the, like the mob and riot, you know, carnage that was happening at the end with, you know, the Joker having the bloody mouth and you see the smile extend to show that, you know, iconic look that we know the Joker for. I, the only thing I didn't like about it was that I felt like the Bruce Wayne aspect of, you don't see it, but it's implied that's the moment when his parents are shot. I felt like that was shoehorned in a little bit. Like it just had to be a reminder of, oh, this is in the Batman universe. So we have to throw that in there. It didn't ruin it for me, but I could have done without it because like we all know what happens to Bruce Wayne's parents. So I felt like it was a little unnecessary. I also think a sequel to this movie is unnecessary, but apparently that's going to be happening. Uh, Number four, Titanic. Number three, Scarface, the 1983 remake. Two, Toy Story 3. And number one is Coco. Tim Spivey, honorable mentions, Planet of the Apes uh, from 1968. Psycho, Scarface, Shawshank Redemption, and Inglorious Bastards. Number five, The Usual Suspects. Four is Seven. What's in the box? Three, Inception. Two, The Sixth Sense, and number one, The Prestige. Prestige is a darn good movie. I really need to watch that again. Uh, Let's see. Oh, Carlos says, number one movie ending is Zoolander. Seeing Magnum was awesome. 
Uh, da, 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 da. Um, let's see. Uh, uh, oh, Bill's list. We're going to wrap things up with Bill unless uh, someone else throws in their list. Uh, let's see. Uh, no particular order. Empire Strikes Back. Don't think there is another movie that leaves you wanting the continuation of the story more. Four, Chasing Amy. The only way Holden and Alyssa could end up, he destroyed the opportunity to be with the love of his life. All he could do was walk through the next door of his life as she looked on. Clerks 2, the dolly shot backwards, transitioning into black and white. The world we started in with Kevin, even with more viewist universe flicks, it still gets me emotional. I agree with that. I, I loved how it had that nice little callback to the original Clerks, and I can't wait for Clerks 3. That's going to be... Uh, I, I'm going to have to see that opening day when it comes out. Entourage technically ends with the movie ending on dramas. Victory was a perfect fan service story ender. Endgame, like Lord of the Rings, this movie had 47 endings, but I'm going to recognize I'm going to get you all the cheeseburgers you want. That was, I didn't think about it when it first, like when I watched it for the first time, but going back and watching it again, I really caught that line going back to the original Iron Man with him wanting a cheeseburger. And he also says, we love you 3000 diamond. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, I love you all 3000 as well. And unless, you know, if, if you guys want me to talk about anything else, feel free to, to throw it in the chat. But, oh, and with, with the Shawshank Redemption, what I meant was just like the, the emotion of it is what I meant as far as like the filmmaker standpoint was the emotion that you got um, at the end of the movie. But um, I, I will say this as I guess we kind of start to, to wrap things up here. It's been really awesome doing the show. And I was looking back, you know, cause I started the show. It premiered March 17th, of 2014 and I was going back and looking at you know what what was happening in the world of movies and pop culture in in 2014 um see I was for me personally I was 27 at the time I was about two months into my first year as a trainee with the Blue Wahoos and in the Pop culture, pop culture world. Um, Twelve Years a Slave won uh, Best Picture. Matthew McConaughey won Best Actor for Dallas Buyers Club, which was interesting because Jared Leto won Best Supporting Actor for the same movie. The number one song in America was "Happy" by Pharrell Williams, and I remember hearing that so much during that time frame, and we played it a lot at uh, Blue Wahoo's games during that year specifically. And it's funny because I associate different songs with different memories or phases of my life. That's a song that I, I think of my early career with them when when I think of that. So it, it's it's kind of crazy to look at what, what was going on in the world of, of pop culture around that time. Because it's, on one hand, it seems like yesterday, but on one hand, it feels like, you know, another lifetime. Because I know for me personally, I was in a much different headspace back then. You know, I was in 
my, my late 20s. I wasn't in a relationship at the time. I uh, was really not sure what I wanted to do career-wise. Like I, I mean, I still had the, the filmmaking aspirations back then. But I was very early in my, you know, what turned out to be a, an eight-year career with, with the Blue Wahoos. And I had already been podcasting at that point because I was doing, you know, the Nerd Cave podcast for a little less than a year at that time. But I had wanted to do my own show because I was a fan of the interview process. And I thought, because I, I've mentioned this on the show numerous times, but back then I was really struggling with some pretty severe social anxieties. And I thought, by doing a podcast on my own that I could, you know, overcome those. It would force me to meet new people and really learn how to ask questions and basically converse. I learned how to converse with people through doing the show. And I remember the first few episodes especially were pretty, pretty ugly. If you go back and listen to them, because, um, oh, Tim says, been with you since day one. I used to send you and Zach questions every week. I remember that so much so that you guys said I needed to be on the show. Can't wait to see what the future holds. We're all proud of you, sir. So I'll go ahead and say this. Um, I am going to be launching a Patreon for feature presentation. And one of those features is I'm going to be releasing old episodes of the nerd cave podcast and other shows that I did. Cause Zach and I did a comic book uh, podcast. We did, um, and Willis and I did a fantasy football one. You know, we, and we also did a wrestling one with myself, uh, Nick Caputo and Adam Gumbert. I'm going to be adding those as like retro audio, um, a couple of times a month. So you're, you're going to get a lot more content with that Patreon. But, um, you know, one of the biggest things I can remember coming from this show was interviewing who is now my co-host on the Nerd Cave Retro Show, Jason Robbins. He was the first person I interviewed on this show that I didn't personally know or I didn't work with. And I remember being very nervous about it because I had heard him on you know his previous show, Pop Culture Palette, and... I thought his backstory was very interesting. So I wanted to ask him questions about it. And then from there, we didn't, I don't think we talked for a bit after that, but eventually we exchanged numbers and he and Wally came on the nerd cave show. We went on pop culture palette and, you know, we formed our connection from there. And that's when he had the idea, you know, a couple of years later to do nerd cave retro, which is still going to this day. We just, the 250 episodes again, that's, you know, we've been doing that show now for five years. So, um, I've built a lot of connections through doing the show. And Bill, if you're still watching, I'm sure you remember, uh, the cheers round table that you and I did with Josh Gay that literally came from an idea of, I didn't have an interview booked and I was rewatching the show for, you know, the 900th time and found out that Bill and Josh were fans of the show as well. So I'm like, why don't you guys just come over to my apartment and we'll 
talk about Cheers for an hour, hour and a half. And I can't remember how long the episode was, but that was the first roundtable that we did. And I, I love doing the roundtables. I like doing, I like doing really everything with, with the show. And I, I've had, oh, Bill says, yep, that was my first podcast and got me started on my own road to podcasting, which I saw you're doing a, a Ghostbusters show, which is, which is awesome. Um, everybody should go see that movie. It was just so freaking good. Um, but yeah, I've, I've learned a lot about not just podcasting, but I've learned a lot about myself as crazy as that might sound or as cheesy as that might sound. Um, I, I learned more confidence in myself through doing this show and then, for those who were tuning in at the very beginning, you know, I, I put together a little intro of little sound bites that some of my former guests had done, including, you know, like Jake Plummer, who was a quarterback in the NFL for numerous years. Um, I got to interview so many people that if you had told me, you know, 10 years ago, hey, you're going to be doing this thing called a podcast and you're going to get to chat with all these people that you grew up you know, idolizing and watching like Jim Cummings, Jason, David Frank, um, you know, so many, so many people. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. Everybody follow Lions Den Media uh, for more uh, and go back and listen to some of his other great shows as well. Some that I might be a little more biased on that I've, I've been a part of, but they're, they're all fun. You know, I've had a lot of fun podcasting with Bill. Um, yeah, just getting to do so many cool moments and even getting to sit around with friends and talk Star Wars, Cheers, Power Rangers, whatever the case may be. But um, yeah, it's I'm glad you like that, Bill. Um, yeah, I'm a little biased, but no, it's fun. Um, but yeah, it's this show has been so much fun and I'm not going to lie. I did not expect it to be going you know, 336 episodes later, but I'm as, as much as it is unfortunate that the show's coming to an end, I think it's going to be better in the long run for what I can do with podcasting because with feature presentation, I think it can be marketed to a wider audience. And with this show has gone through numerous changes throughout the years. And I will say my biggest regret, maybe not my biggest regret, but one of my regrets is that I think when I changed the format of the show is when I should have <laughs> couldn't go to 37 in a row. Um, I Looking back on it, I should have changed the format or changed the name and rebranded when I switched to just talking about film and TV. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, this show will always hold a special place for me because I, of all the connections and all the fun conversations that I've had with numerous people, celebrities, friends, people that I'd never met, getting to give independent filmmakers a voice that they may not have otherwise had. And I do have to throw a special shout out to two um, PR agencies. One is an agency called October Coast that I connected with right before COVID hit. 
And a lot of the interviews that you've heard since then have been provided by them. And also from Spectacle Creative, who I connected with uh, towards the end of 2020, early 2021, that have, you know, given me a lot of great guests. And one, it gives me a chance to pick their brain about how they got to where they are that, you know, I think, well, I can take some of that and apply that to whatever movie I make next and giving them a voice to talk about their projects because, you know, with a lot of podcasts, you know, especially like the bigger name ones is where you hear like the mainstream celebrity guests. But I I've enjoyed getting to hear the stories of other independent filmmakers and that's going to carry over into feature presentation. Um, as far as the format of the new show, because I've talked about it a little bit a few weeks ago when I announced that the show was going to be ending. But with feature presentation, you're going to get consistent news and review segments. Every week, there will be something to do with um, listener and viewer interaction. And with a lot of those segments, I'm going to be bringing guests on to discuss. Uh, the, the first one is going to be top five movies that I'm looking forward to in 2022. And there will be an interview. I haven't booked my first guest yet. I've got a couple lined up. I've got one interview in the can and some others lined up. I don't know what guest is going to be first. I've got some other irons in the fire that I'm still waiting on confirmation for. But um, hopefully between that and, you know, we've got Pensacon coming up in February. And for those who live in the Pensacola area, this year's Pensacon is stacked. They've got some great names lined up already, and it's, we're not even at the end of the year, and there's going to be some more big names, I think, that are announced. But it's, it's going to be a fun time. I, I can't wait to go to Pensacola. The only answer is Top Gun to that. Well, you'll have to put in your, your list. That's definitely on my top five. It's It might be my number one, but it's definitely, I'd say, in the top three for sure. But um, I guess we're going to start wrapping things up here, but I, I just want to say thank you to everyone who has taken the time, whether you've been listening since day one, or this may be your first time listening to this show. Thank you all so much for the opportunity to hopefully entertain you, to get to share my story and my progression, because a lot has changed throughout my life as long as I've been doing this show. This show has been probably the most consistent thing in my recent adult life, the last nearly eight years for sure. And I've grown a lot through doing this. This, this has been the consistency. There's been a lot of changes in my life throughout the years, but this has been Oh yeah, we'll we'll get to that, Carlos. Don't worry, I haven't forgot. But um, yeah, thank you all so much for the opportunity to you know, share my story and share my experiences. And hopefully, you've all been entertained in some way, whether it's through interviews, top fives, uh, whether you've been on the show and been a part of the conversation. Thank you all so much for everything. And I I will have to say because I've been saving this, I've been sitting here for an hour. I want to say cheers 
to everyone. And if you want to follow my new show, it's on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Feature Prez Pod. Um, getting pretty active on social media already. More info will be coming out uh, as we get closer to the launch, which will be January 5th, 2022. I'm really excited for the the new content to create. And I'm excited to build a show from the ground up because podcasting was still a relatively new thing when this show started. So I'm excited to take you know what I've learned and what I'm still learning from other people who are doing podcasts as well to incorporate that into something new and build something new from the ground up. I'm really excited about that, but I will also never forget what I've done and the connections I've made and everything that I owe to the show. Cause this show has been, it's been part of me and on one hand, it's sad to see it go, but I'm also excited for what the future holds. So, um, my mom says, uh, so proud of you, Derek diamond, best of luck with your new show. And Carlos says, I definitely look forward to your new show. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited for you all to see what I'm hoping to do with the show. So on that note, Thank you all so much for everything over these last seven and a half years and 336 episodes. And we'll see you all in January for the debut of Feature Presentation. Thank you all. Have a happy Thanksgiving. Have a safe and happy holiday season. And we'll see you all in January. Thank you all so much.